With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, hello, hello, hello out there, my listening audience. It's your girl, Barbara. And I'm coming uh, live from Los Angeles. And tonight, believe it or not, uh, you know, we are still on our same track with What Would Jesus Do? Uh, this has been our time that we had dedicated at the beginning of the year to trying to figure out, you know, how to be a better person, how to approach life in a more positive manner, how to work with the catfishes in your life and rise above and be the best version of yourself. You know, that's what we've been uh, trying to talk about uh, in the last few weeks, uh, giving instruction and just sharing positive feedback amongst each other. I hope you guys are all great. I know we're great over here. Uh, Pastor Bob, my co-host and cohort, actually, we want to send out blessings to him. He and his lovely wife are off to the funeral and the memorial celebration, which is going to be a huge celebration uh, for uh, Edwin Hawkins, who unfortunately passed away and uh, has been a cornerstone in the gospel uh, narrative in the soundtrack of our lives, I mean, for as long as we can remember. So he has passed on, his brother Walter has passed on, and they leave that dynasty over there to the faithful and to the children to carry on. So we are just sending them one blessing. Uh, tonight, I'm very proud to to, to um, bring on our CEO and uh, the chief, uh, we like to call him the uh, affectionately Galaxy Chief, actually. Andre, Andre Ward, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you doing, Barbara McGee? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And uh, tonight, uh, first off, I want to thank you for being on so we can have a chance to talk, you know, about three or four top uh, topics that are going on right now out there in the world. Give people a chance to call in and Interface with us. You guys can call in at one seven two four 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 seven four four four, and of course the caller ID for this particular show is one three one nine five nine pound, and then your pin, of course, is going to be one pound. So Andre, uh, before we go any further at all, greetings, and uh, let's talk to you because you have one of the most exciting lives that I know of in terms of being a, a filmmaker, being an entertainment mogul, uh, being somebody that has been on the crux of entertainment, whether it be a club ownership, whether it be uh, in, uh, you know, owning a school for uh, teaching people, you know, how to look better, feel better, and be professional at it, and then going on to be a movie. And then, of course, the creator of T25CL, a co-creator and co-conspirator, let's say. Uh, but uh, the point that I'm making is, is, 
you know, um, there's so much going on in the news, and sometimes we just have to vent. And so uh, let's start off. Uh, we said uh, on our request for people to call in that we were going to start off by talking about the Super Bowl, and uh, that was the most recent news. And also we were, I wanted to talk a little bit about in this hour uh, Prince and the hologram, uh, very interesting hologram debate. And then I wanted to move on from there and talk a little bit about um, the uh, things also that are going on in um, the news, uh, such as, of course, what's going on with the White House and with the Dow Jones. And then I wanted to come back around with the financial perspective. And then I wanted to circle back around and, you know, have a talk about, uh, you know, just, you know, where do we fit in these pictures, the, the picture that is change the whole semantics of things. So you'd be a perfect person, you know, to talk about this with. But before we get into the meat, you know, we are teaching 5CL, and this is Galaxy Talk Radio, and you're listening to Straight Talk Live. And, you know, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about some of the things you've been doing, such as uh, being a guest at Channel 5 to celebrate Black History Month, because we know this is Black History Month. So tell us about uh, your evening. Oh, it was a great evening. And as you know, we've been going out for about the past four years now. And it's a great event that CBS KPIX puts on every year. And to tell you the truth, they do this not only for black folks, but they do it for the Asians and they do it for the Mexicans as well. And they do a tribute there. So they they do about three of these things um, a, a year for all the various groups. And it's good to see uh, our, our local network. You know, we do have uh, NBC here in, in San Jose. We also have ABC slash KGO in San Francisco as well. And then we do have Fox KTVU. Channel 2 here in Oakland, <clears throat> but it seems as though CBS is the only network here in the Bay Area that actually reaches out to the black community once a year to have a two-hour event and just acknowledging uh, Black History Month. And basically their format is just have black business owners or employees, you know, or whomever, just come on in, there's food served, and you mingle, you network, you meet new people, you get to meet uh, some of the executives there at CBS and some of the anchor people there at CBS. And and so it's more or less like a mixer, more or less. And um, you just get together, you mingle, and, you know, you've been the one yourself, uh, Barbara, with us. And so we just we just had a great time with it, and the camaraderie was great. And and it was just, it just, just a nice, nice, nice little event, and we look forward to it um, every year. And in all actuality, the different thing that we did this year, um, one of the guys here in a circle, he has a bus. And so a group of us got on the bus and oh, nice. all ventured and went over. It was just just super cool. And the camaraderie oh, that we nice. had, 
going over on on the bus, so we didn't have to worry about parking and didn't have right. to worry about you know um, uh, going to your car afterwards and getting your car broken yeah. into or something like that. It was right, and we know that's cool. going to happen. Right, exactly. Well, that you know that's wonderful, and you know if I may just say. You know, what's really, uh, I know you would concur with me on this, what's really great is having the ability, you know, to patronize because really, you know, the bottom line is, I mean, we all patronize something. You know, we all watch some news outlet. We all go to bed with Don Lemon or CNN or, or, or your KTVU or Channel 5 or whatever your druthers are. You are getting your information from someplace. And to be able to have that opportunity to interface with the faces that you watch every single day, um, and you're watching them for a reason. You know, you you trust them. You you feel that they have your best interest at heart, such as, you know, I mean, there are, I, when I think about some of the people that I know in the Bay Area, you know, I think specifically about, you know, my news anchors and the people that I choose to watch. So, I think it's great not only that they take that time to recognize who is patronizing them, but also at the same time, you know, to market as Black History Month and to be able to have that moment to interface with program directors and with people who are providing the coverage so that we get a chance to see ourselves and hear about ourselves and have more of a dialogue on how they go about their special programming, their interest stories, and things like that. So, yeah, I'm glad you guys got a chance to go. Was there anything that you wanted to highlight specifically that stood out in your mind that was maybe different this year that you thought was phenomenal? Uh, no, it's, it's uh, you know, every year you go, you always meet somebody new that you haven't met before, and that was good. And one thing I, I can say I want to kind of bring out a little bit, you know, you, when you get into, you know, Barbara, you know, being here at T25CL, you know, we always talk about social issues and where we are as a people as well. And, you know, you, you certain stereotypes are going to follow us as black people. And, one thing that came out that night, there was this brother there. I think he was from uh, Merrill Lynch, one of those type mm-hmm. uh, brokerage. And, and so they gave him some time on the uh, microphone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and here it is. This cat is from a major brokerage firm. But what does he bring up to a group of black folks? Uh, he brought about bad credit and not having no money. Mm. You know, mm. and I did. I took kind of an exception to it because here it is a cat. You know, I, I'm I'm assuming that he's making a decent living at what he does, but mm-hmm. when he gets around a bunch of black folks, he's going to bring up about bad credit and <laughs> maybe having little to no money and this sort of thing and. And I took an exception to it because that's the stereotype that follows us. You know, maybe like being on welfare or getting a Cadillac or or wearing pimp clothes or, you know, no credit or, 
you know, the typical stereotypes that follow us. And the people that were there at this event were professional people. Mm-hmm, it wasn't mm-hmm. uh, homeless-type people like that or or dropouts. These are professional people that were there at this event. I mean, one of the uh, top-notch black engineers in San Francisco was there. And this, right. And you, and you probably know who I'm talking about. And um, why would this cat want to get up here and start talking about your bad credit and getting your credit fixed and all of that? How come well, we just can't be accepted on a level playing field as any other business type people? Well, let me give you a little bit of food for thought because, as everybody knows, and I live in Southern California now, and um, it's changed my perspective, I think, a lot. Uh, there's a few things that have happened. Uh, you know, the climate in the news, the climate of our country, you know, the prolific racism, you know, the attack that comes upon us, you know, uh, every day from the White House, the lack of pride, I think, that is manifested every day that I enjoyed by looking and being proud of my my president and my leader to the fact of just this loathing and disgust that I, this distinct that I have for the current administration, I think has changed, you know, changed my whole way of thinking and the whole way that I drive my thought process. And let me just give you this. I'm just prefacing it with that. But, you know, here's the interesting thing. And I wasn't there. And you kind of, you're a very intuitive business owner, you know, uh, um, um, entrepreneur, and, you know, when you think it or when you feel it, you know, or when you feel that it was inappropriate, it probably was. You know, it's kind of like that, you know. So I second with you and stand with you on that. But let me tell you what I found out. What I found out is that when uh, Experian, or, I mean, excuse me, there are three credit reporting agencies currently that has been with us throughout time. We don't participate with them voluntarily. It's an involuntary thing that happens between us, U.S. citizens, in relationship to how we are charged for our money, which you know. And uh, no matter what you do, you have to interface with them. They will find you, get you, and create a file on you, and you can't stop it or penetrate it. So you have to use an outside agency to correct it, really. That's the way it works. You can't – some people do it themselves, but they don't really have nothing else to do because, really, it is a full-time job, something that you should contract to someone else. So the point that I'm making is when Equifax, uh, when those CEOs, that top-level brass with Equifax, decided to unload 150 million profiles, of people who had sort of good credit, you know, 625 on down. You know, the 720s, they didn't hit them. But anybody with about 625 or 650 on down, which generally are minorities, single women, people who have, believe it or not, um, you know, African-American women, they say, have the highest level of of, uh, education right now, higher than anybody else. They got student loans. 
So if you got student loans, guess what? You got a negative credit report. So these people are all on Equifax. So when they shook that 150 million people off of Equifax and exposed them to Russian uh, 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 collusion, exposed them to China, whoever they gave our profiles to, believe it in me and you, Andre, that that was black folks first, Latinos second, and anybody struggling third, or anybody living life fourth, like if you had uh, lost your home uh, when Steve Mnuchin, who is the Secretary Treasurer of the United States, came through California and Oakland in particular and denied people modifications. This is where he got his billions from, was right there farming in our community. So when Steve Mnuchin came through there in 2007 to 2011 and took our home, that's still on your credit report. So I'm not siding with this guy, but I'm just telling you the game. So now they're talking about all these other things, but nobody wants to talk about how you have cost a, a group of Americans, 150 million of us, are paying more money for money. Nobody wanted to talk about that. Nobody corrected it. Nobody uh, did anything to try to circumvent it. Nobody said, well, you know what, we know you were exposed, so we're going to give you this in exchange. It was just on the news in the summer. And do you know those, those top brass gentlemen, they went on and created a new credit report agency. Did you know that? Uh, so now there's another one out there, I think. Let me get the name of it. There's another credit agency, before we get off the show, I'll give you the name of the new agency, that is the Ford Credit Reporting Agency, and they have moved on with bonuses, and we are paying more for money. Now, if you want to rent furniture, if you want a payday loan, if you want a loan for $2,500, let's say you're working paycheck to paycheck, or let's say you got a mortgage and you're not in the best neighborhood, let's just say that this is who you are which is many of us, and there's nothing to be ashamed about. I mean, this is it. They use Equifax, regardless to whether it's good information or negative information. That is a problem, and this government has nothing to say about it. So that is the problem. And not only that, but when you're listening to somebody from one of those investment firms talking, let's just talk about that. Okay, so, hey, brother. I'm so glad you're here and you're successful, but let's just, did he tell you that the market was going to change on Friday and it was going to drop? <laughs> did he give you that information? Mm, Think no. about it. Because no. this morning in Los Angeles, people were literally trying to figure out, got up this morning, I got up at 6 o'clock this morning, and the first thing on the news was how people at the Channel um, 5 that I watch in the morning here in L.A., they were scrambling on, well, what do you think we should do with our 401Ks? Do you think we'll lose our 401Ks? Yeah, that was the conversation because the uh, NASDAQ, because the Wall Street had dropped, plummeted all the gains that it had made in 2018 were lost on Friday. And then on Monday, today, all the trading and all the sell-offs that went on, all of that that went on 
has caused people to be back in, they, people have lost their shirt in just the past four or five days. $50 billion has been lost. Exactly, lost. And some people had put their, pulled out their 401K because they could, and they put it in the stock market because they was riding the wave and they were feeling good and they was buying Bitcoin and they was over here and they was over there. And nobody really understood that when President Trump, that's what they call him, when he named the new financial guy, the new Greenspan guy, the guy who decides how much credit interest you pay, because they're getting ready to raise that, and the lady wouldn't raise it, who's been in the office for quite some time. She refused to raise it, wouldn't be a puppet. So now that they've got this new guy in, there was a vote in the investors of no confidence. That's what happened. So there's no confidence in the system because this guy, who he appointed, has no, he has no experience. He's not even a financial guy. He's just a dude, a white dude. That's it. And now he is in control of what's happening with us. So he is the one who is literally going to decide, trust me, in the next three or four days, while we're all trying to figure out what Trump's going to do about this Russia thing, he's going to raise the interest rate. That's what's going to happen. And so all the investment people that are really watching this thing, they're all connected. They just shook the rug. That's what Melanie Hopkins said, you know, married to the czar of, um, uh, uh, help me, of uh, um, Star Wars, her husband. You know, Melanie Hopkins uh, came on and said, you know, if you were dabbling in this, then you have to be prepared to be lost, to to have losses and stick in and wait until the losses go over and then, you know, don't pull out, you know, stay in until it comes back. You know, but, you know, our money is not at the level that we can afford to stay in and go down to the dirt and wait for the economy to turn around with Trump at the helm. So that is... This is part of my issue is that Mm -hmm. when a cat from a a major brokerage firm like that comes up and here's a room full of black folks, and I've said this before when I'm talking, when... um, when Jewish people or other business people or Asians or whomever, when they want to get a deal done, they do it very quietly and effectively. They get around mm-hmm. the table with the powers to be, and they consummate a deal. It ain't no protesting. There's no cameras. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. We put too much stuff out in the open. And, you know, you ain't got to have no damn credit. If if you got some investors at the table and you want to do some projects. I don't care if it's a film project or if you want to develop housing. You get investors together, get land acquisition, get the team together, and and you do it. This is this was my opposition to this cat bringing out uh, bad credit when you got a room full of black folks. If it was a room full of Asians or a room full of Jewish folks, he, he wouldn't be talking like that. They would be talking well, well, how they're right. going well, to be you know, making, you know, their next billion dollars. And so right. all we have to do as black business people, you know, is first of all, let's remove the whole thing about being black in the first place. And, and well, here, here's, 
here's what's so, happened in San Francisco, and I think we have to look at this, Andre. We have to look at this to be, uh, you know, really up with the time. And the truth of it is, is I was just talking to uh, Brother Bob, you know, and we were talking about the situation with London Breed. Now, I have to just bring people, you know, up to speed. You know, London Breed actually uh, was director of what they call the Board of Supervisors, is which they, the way that they govern in San Francisco city and county. And so when Ed Lee dropped dead, uh, you know, God bless Ed Lee, but when he was taken from us uh, by natural causes, nobody knew the way the succession was going to work. Everybody thought, oh, well, let's look at the book. And when they looked at the books and saw that London Braid from the project was going to have an opportunity to be mayor and she was sworn in as acting mayor, it wasn't good enough. And, you know, I, I feel really, I'm very happy to see Shonda Scott and to see some of the prominent, uh, Sandra Swanson and all the prominent blacks behind um, London Breed to have her elected in June. But really, I was looking at the demographics for San Francisco, and just in the past two years, blacks have gone down to 6%. We were at one, we were in 2012, we were 22%. Of San Francisco residents, from 2012 until uh, last year, we have gone down to six percent. My brother said that uh, the Latin uh, uh, diaspora was there were so many Latins living over there. Listen, they went from twenty three percent down to somewhere close to eight percent. That living in San Francisco, eight percent. The uh, white people have gone to 48%. The Asians have gone to 33%. So that's the demographics of San Francisco 2017. So she probably won't be elected. And so we have to really look at how we have been outsmarted on our share of the political pie. And the, the idea of this woman who is very capable She's the director of the supervisors. Why can't she be acting mayor until there's a vote? What's the purpose of her being um, replaced? So we have to really start to think about the fact that, you know, we have to come up with a new strategy, Andre, on really how uh, we show up when we are counted in our voting so that we can get back into place with some of these cities that we're from. What's your thought on that? Well, first of all, it was a cold move that they made when they just booted the sister out of the office. You know, she was interim mayor, and then they said, oh, no, the sister got to go because uh, she's going to be running in June, and she would have an unfair advantage by being interim mayor. That is the biggest crop of bull twinkie I've ever heard of before in my life. Incumbents run for office all the time. All the time. And, you know, you have to go through the city. you got to go through the city uh, uh, plan and through the directive in order to appoint the next acting mayor. You can't just any, many, many more because the city's already set up for that. And, you know, 
there's a picture that I was privileged to have, Andre, right after, you know, because my roots are deep in the Bay Area. So right after she was elected, I mean, rather uh, appointed and sworn in, there's a picture where there's like five white guys standing behind her and she's in front. And if you could have seen their faces, <laughs> in the mm-hmm. picture, looking at her mm-hmm. from the back. Did you see that photo? Um, I saw uh, various interviews when she was there, and and I know the optics that you're talking about. Yeah, and of, of course, they, you know, this stuff, when you start, start getting into it on this level, you're talking about some real deep-rooted uh, uh, racism here that's just inbreded and Yes. It was just the same thing when Barack was president of the United States. It was the imagery of him being there that really threatened um, uh, white white America. They just couldn't take that imagery of right. uh, of him being there. And it was the same thing with the imagery that you're um, um, uh, uh, talking about now with her being there and, and the white men standing behind. That just can't happen in their psyche. It just yes. destroys them mentally. And and so this is why it was so easy for Trump to come in to the office. It was just one of those situations where they were just saying, never again. And they knew that the Bushes and everybody else were full of crap anyway, too. But they said, okay, we're going to get this this white dude in here. He don't know a damn thing, but at least he's white, and and he's going to be looking after our interests because he's already done, done told us, and he, he, he's done already sided with the Klan and, and all that kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. he's going to be looking after our interests. The imagery is, is, is great, him being white. He's got a white stripper wife. Mail order bride and all that stuff. We and that's cool. So we don't care about all the pussy grabbing stuff. That's all cool with us too. It, as long as he's white, it's all cool. We don't give a damn. Even the Russians now. Before in the old days, they accused Paul Robeson and um, uh, uh, Martin Luther King of being communists for far less than what is happening now. Not one time has Trump been called a communist. At all, right? Exactly. Is it the language? Isn't that funny? The language. You know, they must all have a thesaurus. You know, because mm-hmm. they go through those words from the insurgents. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I, I just love to watch the news. How when they retitle, you know, who they see as the enemy and how we have to rise to the. But you know what? Here's the bottom line, and I think America is figuring this out. I think America is figuring out that we don't need a leader that we're embarrassed of. And the great, the great masses of us are embarrassed by him. And the rest of us are just not, we're not educated. And that's why we don't see it. So there are some people who are enlightened, and I hate to say it like this, and then there are some people who have not figured out quite yet how freedom really works. And they're so stuck what they know and what they know to be true, and they're not enlightened. And therefore, they are very easy to be led astray. And that brings me back to uh, what I really wanted to talk about. You know, I, I really need to think about this. You know, I 
um, you know, everybody knows that, you know, I've been part of the Oakland music scene for many, many years. And the reason why being a celebrity makeup artist and, you know, I just was so upset on Saturday. It might have been Friday evening. No, it might have been Saturday night. I got a text that they were going to use uh, at the halftime with uh, Justin Timberlake. Now, mind you, I love Justin Timberlake. Who doesn't love Justin you know, I mean, we all, we loved him at Instinct. We loved him at Disney. You know, I met him in in uh, Hawaii when he was dating Britney Spears. I mean, I'm talking eons ago. You know, so so we loved him. You know, he was raised in Memphis. You know, he thinks he's a brother. All until he married this wife, this wife of his. And then Justin changed. And so for five years, he's taken a seat. He's got great hits. He went on tour with Jay-Z. It had the big band sound, you know, a suit and tie. You know, he bought all his albums. And then, you know, he comes out with this new hit. Now, this new hit is a mega hit. I mean, it's a different sound. It's not even, uh, it's not even an average uh, sounding uh, number, you know. He's got that mega hit going. Uh, put your hands all over me or whatever the name of it is. It's just amazing. So with that and his catalog, he doesn't need to have anybody else perform with him. So, of course, they had said, well, you know, maybe Janet's going to be the surprise act. Maybe it's going to be, you know, we heard all these things. You know, I remember he ripped it, just ripped Janet's breast off. So, you know, when <laughs> You know, me too, Janet could have said, but nobody heard her because she was a black sister. She's just to blame. So anyway, so Justin's performing, and there's a underground message that there's a possibility that Prince is going to perform in a hologram. And, you know, I must have went through the roof when I heard that. You can, I cannot believe, but first off, the hologram, just the image Portraying the image is just demonic. Prince thought it was demonic. Uh, any real artist thinks it's demonic. And then let's just talk about Prince for a moment and understand that Prince was all into teaching people. His whole persona was about owning you, owning your own you, your music, your image, how to get these pimps in the music industry off of you enough to be able to make money, do it on your own terms, and own your catalog. This was his whole presence, uh, his whole entity. And to know that in his death, they had the nerve to put up a hologram at the Super Bowl. I was livid. And then I got to thinking, I got in this dialogue, you know how you get in dialogues on Facebook, I got in this dialogue, and there was a white guy that said, well, so, what's so bad about it? And I got to thinking about it. And I said, well, why don't you guys have John Lennon as a hologram? You know, now, I love David Bowie. You know, I, I love David. But why don't you wreck him as a hologram? Why is it that black artists are the ones that even in their death, they're still performing, still performing for white audiences. It's unbelievable. What was your thought on that? Did you know about it before? No, I didn't know about it ahead of time. 
and uh, somebody had mentioned it actually, but um, it, they did it. They put Prince up there for about what fifteen seconds, twenty seconds, or something like that. And well, so he and and you know, and I guess they did it because they were in his town of Minnesota. Well, yeah, he's the best thing that came out of Minnesota, so I do understand, I do understand that, but but you do know that Sheila E., our Sheila, was there during this period of time and went to Justin and asked Justin and told him that Prince's wishes were to not ever be in a hologram. And so he said, well, I will, I will respect that. And then they, instead of doing a hologram, they did a projection. Mm-hmm. So that was the difference. They projected his image opposed to creating this hologram, lifelike person. And we have a Sheila to thank for that. But, you know, it's just the idea. What do you think about that? I mean, you're in entertainment. What do you think about the fact that Michael Jackson right now is still performing in, in Las Vegas for Circus Olay? What do you think about that? Well, it's all about the money. It's all it's all it is. And if they can make money off of you, they're going to do it. And I've been telling people here ever since um, all this stuff has come out in Hollywood uh, with Weinstein, I said, wait until they open up the music industry. Because, see, they haven't really hit music yet. And when they hit the music industry, it's going to make all this Weinstein stuff look like child's play. Because that's where where the heavy-duty, demonic dirt is. And Mm -hmm. it's the nasty, nasty, nasty people in, in the music game. So if that one ever comes out or when it comes out, you're going to forget all about Weinstein and the little things that that he did. Well, you know, now that you you hold your thought, but now that you've brought up Weinstein, there's a very interesting interesting, uh, thought about that. You know, I've worked in uh, film and television for a long time, and, you know, it's very interesting. You know, I, I, I can appreciate the Me Too movement and all that they're trying to say, you know. And, you know, I, 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 you know, but let me tell you something. When you're a woman, things happen. Men happen. Men happen to you, you know. And you don't get to say because you had bad sex with a, with a, with a frog, you know, D- Donald Trump would be a lech or a frog. You know, and sometimes women, we close our eyes and say, oh, my God, you know, I guess I'm just going to do this, against our better judgment and against our will. And then 15 years later when we realize, you know, he did that. He promised me this, 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 and this. After we did it, he didn't even want to answer my calls, and we wait. And then we come out with this, oh, my goodness, he did this to me. You know, and this is what you see. And and unfortunately, you know, these women, you know, and I have to just be honest about it. You know, if you want to have a Hollywood career, if you want to be a Hollywood actress, you know what that means? That means that you have to study your craft. That means you've got, if you're a singer, you better graduate from Juilliard. 
If you're an actor, you better invest in some uh, uh, classes with the Meisner uh, uh, method or you better uh, get over here to Santa Monica and take some classes and you better have a body that's out of sight and you better be working with your acting coach and you better have good representation. And when you have good representation, what does that mean? Well, that means you're not going to be at the hotel at 11, 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night. That's what that means because your agent does it for you. You're with William Morris, and they handle that stuff for you. When you're not prepared, when you've been working off of the fact that you've got great boobs, you've got a beautiful face, you've got lovely skin, and your hair bounces when you turn, when that is your talent, when that is what you do and that's what you've been using, how are you going to be mad when they want to tap you on your ass? Because you haven't prepared yourself to be a Meryl Streep. And then how are you going to turn around and say, well, you know, we had to pick up some scenes. This girl was hilarious to me. She says, well, you know, we had to do some reshoots, and uh, I went back, and they paid me pennies on the dollar when Mark Wahlberg went back and they paid him a million dollars. Yeah, because ain't nobody going to the movie to see you. We're going to see the movie to see Mark Wahlberg. You don't get a million dollars because they call, we don't even know who are you. That's the whole point. There is no equal pay when there's not equal fame. People don't get that. That's the same thing that transitions over to Monique. Monique, you know, and we've been missing Monique since she's been on the bad girls list, and she wants us to, uh, to you know, blackball uh, Netflix because they offered her $500,000. But you know something, Monique? You know, your attitude is bad, and you have created this, 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 this pendulum that is swinging against you. And by coming out and saying that you are having a pay differential from Amy Schumer or whoever this white girl is that's a, that's a comedian, uh-huh. hey, listen, Monique, we love you, but you got to get your game together. You know, and, and I know that Monique has been really under the gun because of the fact that she had that, her talk show. Do you remember her talk show, Andre? Uh, I don't remember her talk show. She had a talk show. It was kind of like the same format as Arsenio Hall. It was that you had black people on it. It came on at late night, you know, and we all stopped watching all the rest of those guys. And we watched Monique. Monique had everybody on. She had the conversation. It was phenomenal. They were coming live from Atlanta, and, you know, they wanted her to tone, the networks wanted her to tone down that show because they wanted to give, you know, uh, their white boys, Conan O'Brien, and, you know, she was taking market share from them. And and so a lot of what has happened to Monique, a lot of people say that, you know, it was Lee Daniels and Oprah that and Tyler that have really, you know, put this vice on her. But it was really the fact that when Monique got in a position to have a mouthpiece, she spoke for us. If you really remember that, that's what she did. She opened up the forum and let it rip. And that's really what I believe she's paying the price for. What do you think? 
Well, we've seen this time after time after time again. I mean, Arsenio Hall had one of the best late-night shows. I mean, he had a, a, a great show. And but how did he get that show? How well, did he Eddie, get Well, you know, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy got it for him. No, and, Eddie Murphy did not get that show for him. Let me tell you. You know how he got that show? Okay, this really? is what happened. Johnny Carson had a show. Johnny was the man, and mm. he had Joan Rivers come on and guest host with him. And Joan was the only female that could sit in the chair. And Joan got to be so good that Joan started mocking him. Hey, Johnny, why don't you just don't come to work? Now, you know, Johnny's at the house. He's a gatekeeper. He at the house, and he's watching her say, don't come back to work. And so he felt some kind of way about being able to give her a shot and then have her sit up and mock him. So Johnny blackballed her. So she went to the other network and went up against him head to head, time to time. And Joan Rivers had a talk show. And it was against Johnny Carson, and that ripped a new tear. I mean, that just poured alcohol in the open wound. And so they came for her. And so what she did was she gave that show to Arsenio. When her husband committed suicide, she gave it to Arsenio. And that's how Arsenio got that show. He stepped in for Joan Rivers. That's where the show came from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so then he was good. And that's what happened. Yes, and and it's been others too that it had. I mean, when um, who was it? Red Fox had a show. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby had a real nice show. And um, and I remember when Red Fox was was putting out a plea to black folks, please write in and send letters in. That's the way it used to work in the old days. He had to mm-hmm. write letters in to support the shows, and now you don't have to do letters anymore. Because they've got ways of tracking everything. Mm-hmm. Everything is is tracked um, right through the system now. So you don't mm-hmm. have to spend. They already know how many people are watching what show. Mm-hmm. And and so, but when those letters didn't come in, because black folks were watching the shows for sure. But black folks were not writing letters back in the 60s and 70s and stuff to the network. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was their justification for Xing out the Bill Cosby show and the Red Fox show and um, and maybe even Jeff Wilson as well. Well, you know, now now you brought up somebody that, that, now you brought up somebody there that, you know, I think it needs to be, that needs to be said. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Now, there's been a lot of comedians that have had shows. Red Fox, God bless him. You know, we love Red. You know, Red had his show for so many years. And just like you said, how you felt when you were uh, at Channel 5 and you were downtown in San Francisco and it was opulent and then somebody gets up and starts talking about, you know, blacks and credit, bad credit. You know, well, that's how Red Fox felt toward Stanford and Son. That was his feeling toward that 
that whole being the junk man and here he is, the top of the king of comedy, if you will, and the king of dirty comedy, you know. And so why does he have to continue with this same buffoonery? He did not like um, what he was doing. So what he did to circumvent that is he had all of his friends on, and that's why you've seen so many of those uh-huh. older comics on the show to make fun out of what they were doing, but he was very resentful of that. So but that's, um, now you bring in up another point. How do you feel about Amos and Andy? Well, Amos and Andy, I don't remember Amos and Andy. I know about them from studying and taking black classes. So, you know, I, I, I do know a little bit about them. But, uh, you know, I think that's a whole show we've got to do, you know, that whole, you know, buffoonery and making fun of us and, how we have driven their entertainment ever since we've uh, been on been here. They they are mesmerized by us, uh, and when people poke fun of you, it's because of one reason. They poke fun of you because they can't get over you. They love you, and they want to be you, and they have got to poke fun. But I will tell you about Flip. Flip Wilson was you know when you look at the mob and you think about all the Italians that were in the mob. I don't know how else to to akin this. But when you look at the mob and you think about, you know, the families, you know, and the, the top family, the Corleones, you know, and the Dons, you know, if, if you really want to stop and think, Flip Wilson was a Don. He was a Don along with Sammy Davis Jr. Red Fox wasn't a Don. Flip Wilson was a Don. And on Flip Wilson's show, Flip Wilson owned it He produced it. He owned the rights to it. He owned the rights to his rerun, and it was a variety show, and he owned it. So there's a big difference between how he was presented and how what he controlled and how he wrote his scripts and how he he personified himself opposed to the way the other shows were. And so Flip Wilson had major guests on his show. So I think it would behoove everybody the next time you get a chance to watch some of the reruns of Flip Wilson's show and then take a look at the credits if you get a chance to see them on the credits. He was the Johnny Carson of his time. What do you think of that? Well, I want to finish elaborating, too, like on on, um, Amos and Andy. You know, I remember them as a kid, like when I was five, six years old. I remember watching Amos and Andy with with my father all the time. We used to sit around and and watch it all all the time. And and we just, it was just funny to us. And and even Amos and Andy, if I was going to look at it right now, it would be uh, funny to me now. But the NAACP came out and said, hey, no, no, you guys got to shut this down because the imagery that is portraying is not cool. Now, this argument has a two-edged, it's a two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, the imagery may be stereotypical for sure. It was definitely stereotypical of black behavior. But here's the thing. These people were working. They were actors. And they were all damn 
good actors. They were hella good. And they were working. Amos and Andy, I think they the show maybe ran about 52 episodes, maybe in its totality. But it put a lot of black folks to work. And I remember uh, Hattie McDaniels, who was the maid in Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. And then I think she may have, winner. Yep, great actress. And then somebody says, well, hell, how do you feel about being a maid in the movies? She said, I tell you what, I can be a maid in the movie and get $3,000 a week, or I can be a maid for real and maybe get $30 a week. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And, and so... The the difference between us and the white actors, like you can take a show like the Beverly Hillbillies, where you can see white folks being uh, buffoons, but they have balance. They can come back with a Perry Mason series or Dr. Mm-hmm, Gil mm-hmm. Gare or, or Peter Gunn or whatever. You know, they have the ability to balance that thing out. So, okay, yeah, so we can show you being buffoons over here, but on this other one, you're going to be a surgeon, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be yeah. a hero cop and all of this. But what the problem here is, is with black folks, all we can do is play buffoons. And you just don't hardly see, I mean, that's changed now, of course, coming into nowadays, but in uh, in the uh, in the origins of us breaking into this thing, you know, we were playing the slaves, uh, or we scratching our heads and yows us, uh, yows, uh, and playing those type of of, of roles. But but and can so, I just interact? Let me just interact and uh, interject right ahead. quick because you know I I think about I think about uh, I was in church the other week. And it brings us to, you know, what I want to close with, which is the Black Panther movie. Uh, so don't let us get off that. We've got a few minutes to go. Everybody's listening to T25CL. And this is Galaxy Talk Radio. This is Straight Talk Live. And I'm here with Andre Ward, CEO. And we're discussing an open forum. And this is really, I'm going to be emailing this show to you so you can have uh, some food for thought. It's been re- really great to hear uh, really a male perspective that's in it, the entertainment industry, and doing it. But let me just say, that the, the bottom line is this. When you stop and think about, when I heard the pastor talk about lynching, uh, and that we're not talking about the period of time during slavery. We're talking about the period of time from, like, let's say 1920, you know, after. We, we're talking about American terrorism at its best. And we're talking about the, the whole lynching process. And this is what he built his speech off of to start Black History Month, uh, his sermon. And uh, it was really shocking because many of the young men, I asked uh, several of the little kids that were sitting close by me, had you ever heard that before about the lynchings? And they said, oh, no, where was it? That's horrible. And they had no idea. Well, I want to say that to say that my father was raised uh, in, a, in an area where your parents are from, in Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. when my daddy would tell me stories about what it was like 
to be in his town, Okmulgee and uh, Bowley. You know, he talked about all the black towns that were in Oklahoma, and there was about 50 of them, the black towns, and they were wealthy. And uh, he didn't talk about the struggle and strife. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to tell you, there was an art to not get lynched. There was an art and a rhythm and a role that a black man had to play in public to keep his life and to keep his livelihood and to keep his ownership of his land and the things that he possessed and his women and keep his family safe. There was a role he had to play with these ridiculously insane, crazy white people and uh, terroristic white people. And then when he went home and closed the door, he was the man in his house. So he had a double, he had a double-edged role, just like in these movies. So, so many times we look at these from a different lens. The lens we use is the lens that we use from, well, I see this as buffoonery, and I'm insulted by it, and this, this, and this. Why didn't we have more? And you use Beverly Hillbillies to try to, uh, you know, give us a, a reference point, which was very, very good. Uh, but, you know, you had Mr. Uh, the banker, uh, Mr. Drysdale, who ran the bank. And you had uh, his secretary, who had all the class, who used to give them classes and try to show them where they were falling short now that they had money. You know, so right in with the show was a whole other set of folks. Now, what we don't really, what we're not really working on as a people is keeping the terrorism, the terroristic part of this living in America, alive. Because what it is alive, and it's still walking the earth like a venomous snake looking to devour us. But because our parents didn't share that, my daddy didn't share that with me. He called them crackers, but he never really shared the fact that when a white man walked on the street, he had to get on the, on the ground, on the sidewalk, that let the white people walk on the sidewalk and he walked in the gutter. He never shared with me that he couldn't wear his hat. He had to take his hat off in the presence of white people. He never shared with me he couldn't look a white man in the eye. This was all the personification that was demanded from white people in relationship and in effect, in full effect with black men. Now, either you did it or you died. That's the way it was. And if you were falsely accused, you were hanging from a tree. Right now, I just lost one of my white girlfriends. I love her dearly like a sister. But she told me to take down off Facebook the two picture of the 243 sharecroppers that were sharecropping their land in Arkansas. She told me to take that picture down. I'm not going to take that picture down. Why did she want you to take it down? Because she said it's beneath me to have such a horrible thing on my Facebook, and I'm a businesswoman, and I work with people, all aspects, and I'm a celebrity artist, and it's bad for my brand. You know what? Let well, it that's be. white because guilt. I, the real deal, I, that was her mm-hmm. guilt. Right. I ain't got nothing to do with it. That's what happened, and we need to know about it, or it will happen again. And so, you know, this brings us, you know, we've got a few minutes left, and I want to talk to you about your show and about the programming on the station, but I do want to get this out because you're a filmmaker. I want to find out your perspective of this. 
And the bottom line is, is that, now I know Stanley. You know, Stanley is about 95, 98 years old. He is the Marvel um, creator. So he created Wonder Woman, and I was called in to all the superheroes. I was called in to do a, a piece not too long ago. And I got an opportunity to work with, uh, to, to you know, to talk to and be at the table with Stanley. It was phenomenal. So I love Stanley. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm really concerned about is reframing for our young people the Black Panther. Because, you know, the movie, as great as it could be, it could be called the Black Lion. It could be called the Black uh, King. It could be called the Black uh, uh, whatever you want to call it. Get your thesaurus out and rename it. But when you're talking about young people who are going to be impressioned by this, they're going to see their point of reference as this movie and not the point of reference that because we celebrate ourselves in the way we do right now is because of the real Black Panthers started right there in the streets of Oakland, California. And I think it's a travesty for us to not recognize the fact that we are being reframed in history with that movie. What's your thoughts on that, Andre? You know, I want to see this film, and uh, it's been hyped up so much, so much, so much. And a lot of times when they hype things up like this, the film turns out to be marginal. And when I first heard the title Black Panther, I thought it was just, as you just said, I thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. the Black Panthers. Exactly, Um, because they existed. They existed, and they were all over. 200,000 of them in every major city across America. Yep. And now what I'm hearing, this, this is going to be some type of new version of some type of superhero like a Batman or a Green Hornet or something, I guess. Right. Uh, a, a, <clears throat> a, a, a state in Africa that ends up fighting to save the world, and it's all it's all black. It's all black. It's all different types of uh, dynamic in the black diaspora who all have control in their living scenario. So that is what people see as giving young black people hope that you can do and be anything. But I think it's the name is reframing our history. Yeah, so you really got to see it to see what's the real message that they're trying to put out there. And I doubt, really, if they are putting out a message out there for black folks to get yourself together, start unifying with one another. But, you know, I I don't have any criticism of the film because I don't know where they're going with it. Um, Even the commercials on it is not very descriptive of what this thing is really about. So I guess that, uh, and I heard that, you know, it hasn't come out yet, but it's all sold out. Oh, yeah. Go go see it. Oh, yeah. My my church, believe it or not, doesn't believe in movies. I mean, you know, I was raised, we couldn't go to the movie. You know, so uh, when I was living, yeah, we we, we were not allowed to go to the movies when I was a kid, but the church has actually, uh, bought the theater out so all the kids could go see it. 
And I asked, I said, if this, is be, if this be the case, then what I need to do is, con- so uh, that's what I plan to do, is contact Bobby Seale or one of the Panthers and have them talk via Facebook before we go into, or after, during the forum afterwards, to let them see a real Black Panther. You know, so I'm going to need your help on that. Uh, we'll talk about that later off, off camera. But, yeah, so, you know, we are just, we're just in a time where what is isn't. What it looks like, it isn't really. You know, and a lot of us, because we're not part of the moving force that's changing, the changing of the guard, because we really see that we're not a part of that, I think that we are understanding even better uh, what our role is and how we're going to have to band together. And I think that uh, educate ourselves, band together, and I think we're going to have to just get off, know enough about the media to be able to um, know what's happening, like what I told you about the gentleman who took over the position of uh, raising the credit margin, you know, and the and the non uh, the no faith vote. I mean, you need to know those things, but do we really need to watch? and have them be able to count on our dollars uh, in their diaspora. You know, if we're not a part of it, if I keep looking at the House of Representatives and I just see one person, Ben Carson, standing there, and the rest of the people are all white and old, I mean, why do I need to put my money in this uh, economy? Why do I need to put my money on, on, on Wall Street so they can play with it and shake me off the carpet when they get ready? Why do I want to do this kind of thing? Oh, no, honey. Uh-uh. We got to be smarter. We got to get ourselves together. We got to get in business. You know, we got to get behind this cannabis thing. And a lot of people don't believe in it, but you know what? Don't let them, don't let them, like in Los Angeles, they're slated to make $15 billion. Now, don't let them make that $15 billion and you still standing there trying to figure out what you're going to do. Don't let that happen. You know, just because you are a part of it. I mean, there are, can you believe that there are jobs that you can hold that actually are alongside the industry that have nothing to do with the flower or the leaf or possessing it at all? So we are going to have to get smarter. We're going to have to come up with uh, like an employment agency (laughs) that, you know, vets uh, people who are going to be involved in the cannabis industry. I mean, there are so many ancillary things you can do on the side of it. But I believe that uh, this is going to be the last wave of money, of business that we can tap into outside of entertainment. And, um, you know, I think, Andre, I really appreciated what you said about the music industry and how when they get to really cracking that open, maybe once they crack that open, we can get our kids back. We can get our kids back because they will see that the music that we love, you know, in closing, if Minneapolis had a spent, the money that they spent on trying to turn the city purple and trying to put up this projection of Prince, if they were trying to house the Super Bowl, if they took that money and put it in the investigation of who, who murdered him, I would have more respect for Minneapolis and the type of love that they had for Prince. 
Yeah. You You're getting yeah. into something now when you start talking about who murdered him, who murdered Michael Jackson. Exactly. You, you know, exactly. And, and even who murdered Michael Michael Jordan's father, and and uh, you know who who murdered who really murdered Whitney Houston. Right. Know. And get this. And when when Whitney Houston was murdered, the funniest thing about it is they still partied in the in, in, in the Beverly Hills Hilton. While her dead body laid upstairs, they still went to her party. They were all of Hollywood was in the building at her party, partying, and her body was still upstairs. So they have a sinister, they have a sinister message for us. When we get in and we want to be who we are, we think we own ourselves. They have a real sinister message. And like I say, once again, Andre, where's the white hologram? You know, they got a hologram of Biggie. They got a hologram of Tupac. They got a hologram of Michael Jackson. Wanted to have a hologram of Prince. Where's the white hologram? That's all I'm saying. I mean, nobody can tell me that white guy that was berating me for my feelings could never produce who was in the white hologram. Because I tell you, when they own you in life, they'll really own you in death. And we've seen that with Prince. We've seen that with Michael. You know? So, anyway. Yeah, when Michael signed that last contract, that was his death warrant right there. Right there. They knew. They knew that he couldn't do all those shows. They knew it. And well, you know, he could he could have he could have done the shows. That's not the point. The point was is they were insured whether he did the shows or not. Mm-hmm. It it didn't have nothing to do with whether he was going to the show. It was it had to do with the fact that he signed an agreement that said whether he did them or not, they were still going to be paid. Yeah, but they became. He was worth a billion dollars dead. Yes. And that's the thing. Yes. Yes. So, wow. So, uh, okay, in the last two minutes, why don't you tell us about the programming on T25CL, what, what exciting things are happening, please? And uh, also let us know about your show, what's coming up, what's coming up on Wednesday. And uh, tell us about In the Place, just real quickly. Well, you know, these shows, they just take on a life of their own, you know. And whenever we start these shows, everybody comes out, okay, my show is going to be about uh, a red rose. Next thing you know, we all over the place, saving the world, saving the moon, saving Mars, whatever. And these shows, just one little thing. One little sentence can just change the dynamics of a whole show, and um, and this is what happens with all of them. And the good thing, and I've always said it, that Galaxy Talk Radio is one of the best modalities that we have because it uh, gives people a chance to really open up and communicate, and and it's a learning thing too. And, you know, hell, I learned things on this show tonight. 
and uh, and so that's what it's, it's all about. And having some good quality guests on, and having people call in, and stuff. so you know, because I listen to other talk shows as as well, and so talk radio is is a is a great 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 thing, and um, and in due time we're going to be getting sponsors and. And we're going to really be marketing our talk shows, and and then in due time, you know, we're we're going to go into the studio, and actually do this in a television format um, as well. And uh, I love it. Have, well, it sounds like yeah. sounds like I'm going to save my pennies and get my Facebook camera so I can join you via mm. Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dr. Nigeria Arnold, uh, she wants to do a television show. We're probably going to take that over to uh, Berkeley and shoot it there. And um, she's a very dynamic sister. She's a Ph.D. candidate. And so uh, we're going to be doing that uh, uh, coming up soon as, as well. So we got a lot of things to do here, a lot, a lot of things. And we really want people to support T25ZL, you know, because it costs money to run this company, and uh, we want the people to uh, download our music, check out our couple of films that we have, Sandra Smith's films, United We Stand film, the Kev Choice concert, and check out our artists. Today is Charles Small's uh, birthday, and so get his CD, uh, Small Talk. And so just just check us out. Dr. Quaid Koo has a, a book, uh, Whiteout, there on on our site as well. And so let us know what you think about what we're doing. Let us know what we can do to improve ourselves, make ourselves better. And stuff. So we have radio shows every day, uh, with the exception of Sunday. And then also, when you listen to our 24-hour-a-day music radio station, that helps us out as well. And listen to all the great music. You never know what's going to come on next. Jazz, R&B, gossip, maybe a little hip-hop, and uh, spoken word and stuff. So listen to our radio show. Check us out. Call into the radio shows and and be a part of this global T25CO family. Wow, that's beautiful. Well, you know what? Uh, I've been the prodigal child. Uh, (laughs) I've been running with my head cut off down here, but just had a chance to uh, announce I had the exclusive for the the, uh, L.A. County Sheriff, uh, Bob Lindsay, who has decided to run for office. So uh, the sheriff. We got a new sheriff in town that's coming to the table, and that was a great show on LA Miracle Cure, and that comes on weekends. So, you know, things are happening. Things are happening, and and we just have to embrace ourselves, embrace each other, lift each other up, and you know, just commit and stay committed, stay connected, stay focused, and just appreciate the catfish in your life. That's my new motto. You know. <laughs> Anyway, let me just tell you about the catfish, okay? So when they were thinking about how to get codfish from Boston to San Francisco, they were shipping them live, and they, the catfish, I mean, the codfish were just enjoying the ride, and then when they would come to San Francisco, they would land, and their taste was flat. They were fresh, but they were flat. So somebody thought up an idea. 
what if we put a catfish, which is the natural enemy of the codfish, inside of this transportation box? They will be on edge. They will be agitated. They will be running for their lives, trying to keep themselves sane, and they will taste better when they get to San Francisco because of the height, the heightened consciousness that they have. Well, that's truly what happened. So in closing, remember to appreciate your catfish. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be mad at the catfish. Appreciate your catfish, okay? Because we've got them and they're going to be with us until the day we die and even beyond. So we just got to still go on and be the best we can be, right? Don't be discerned. Appreciate your catfish. All right? I want to thank you for being a fantastic guest. I want to thank our Teacher 5 listening audience out there. I want to say hi to Rosalind Jordan Mills, who is going to be on tomorrow night at 7.30, and, of course, Compton Politics. And then we have uh, In the Place on Saturdays, and, of course, United We Stand at 10 o'clock Saturdays as well. All right, thank you, everyone, and thank you, Andre, for listening. And I'll be calling you and, uh, tomorrow so we can talk about a few things uh, related to uh, this weekend. Okay? Yep. So thank you again right. for being my guest. And okay. all a good night. Peace.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.